Good morning. Is this uh, Arrow? Yeah, it sure is. Is this Greg? It is. How you doing, Greg? I'm calling early. Is that all right? No, that's perfectly fine, dude. I'm always ready to rock. Man, I'll tell you, because <laughs> I, 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 I love to show prep, and then once the show prep is done, it's like, oh, my God, now I want to talk to him. When, when, how many more hours do I have to wait? Yeah, we're not even another minute, Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, congratulations on the Amish wife. This is the kind of, it's a thriller, it's a mystery. There's so much drama in it, and I didn't even have to leave my sofa. I, I, I got it all right there in front of me in a book. Gosh, that's the best way. Just lay your head back on a pillow and get absorbed, right? How did you develop that style of writing that you've got? Because, I mean, there, there really is something going on here when it comes to taking my imagination and replacing it with your pictures. You know, what, what I learned from being, you know, uh, even reading or whatever, it is all about pictures, right? It's about putting somebody in the place where someone else was, like whether it's the victim or uh, even the killer in some sort of story. You, I really put people there. And you do that by listening carefully and getting the story right. That's how you do it. The art of listening. Oh, dude, I have talked about that so much. It's just to try to get people to understand it is an art form. Well, I mean, in your job, I mean, you're listening and you're making you know, decisions on what's, what you're going to ask next. You know, you're going to try to figure out where the story is going to go um, on your podcast. And that's the same thing with, you know, with with writing in the written word. You're really following you're following the story. Right. How do you how do you follow that story in the way of unraveling the lives and secrets and conspiracies that let a killer go free? That in itself right there says open that book up and begin the journey. Yeah, I mean, that's a mouthful right there for sure. What it is, it's like, so there's a mystery about how did this Amish woman die? You know, I had a good feeling when I wrote the first book called Abandoned Prayers 30 years ago that, you know, she died, she was murdered, but the county didn't do anything about it. No, uh, reopened the case. No one did a darn thing about it. So I came back 30 years later and I thought, okay, I got a call from an Amish guy, the, the brother of the woman who died and said, you know, Greg, let's, let's go look at it again. And with that, you know, I was uh, on a plane back to Ohio and I was do what the best I could. And I really do think if you really get through the book, you're going to follow me in the story and you're going to be convinced she was absolutely murdered and a conspiracy kept everybody's mouth shut. Mm, mm. Yeah. Ida's brother plays a huge part in this. I mean, I mean, can you imagine if you were to slip him out of this, it, it wouldn't happen. That's right. And this is kind of a key thing. A lot about, you know, when we see cases on TV or or in the news or whatever, it's usually a family member pushing the buttons, making think people become aware of what's going on. Well, the Amish don't do that. They keep their mouth shut. They try to handle things in their own. And this is where this is different. This is a boy. You know, he was 16 when his sister was murdered and he never got over it. He's an old man now. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stand up. Maybe the bishop won't like it, but I want to reach out and find out what happened. And I'm going to call Greg. Oh, my God. Can you imagine him holding on to that for the past 30 years? I mean, I, I, mean, I can't imagine what it, what it did to him mentally. I mean, here's the funny thing. I, too, held on to it for 30 years. That's the kicker to the whole thing. I feel really connected with the Amish community and this idea of particularly like women are not allowed to say anything. They're really pushed back in a subservient role there. So we've got sisters and we've got moms and people that terrible things have happened to them, but they don't say a darn word. And when you get to the point of, you know, like the passage of time, you realize we don't have much time, Arrow, to make something right in our lives. I mean, 30 years for me has gone by in a blink. 
And, you know, now was the time to step up and try to figure out what it was and why everybody stayed so silent. Now, Greg, I'm the, I'm the type of really weird person that believes that writers are connected to a different world. It, it kind of reminds me of Russell Crowe in, in Beautiful Mind, that we're, we're constantly being walked with and they guide us. And I just feel like this is one of those things. It's one of those, dear future reader, I have a story that I had back then. Wait till you hear this story now. I mean, you're so right about that. It's like it doesn't go away. Now, I write fiction, too, and fiction is fun, and it's, you know, it's an experience just making up a story. But I have done probably 10 true crime books in my lifetime, and they are always still there. And I always wonder, like, did I get it right? You know, what did I miss? Because I'm only as good as the people that I can talk to. So there is that beautiful mind aspect going where I've got little notes written around like, God, I wish I'd talked to so-and-so. Oh, but now they're dead. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I've always believed that the author, because you, you've done so much research in, into, into sharing this story, that, that in a really weird, uh, maybe, maybe an ocular goggles world, we put the author up on the stand because that author knows who the real killer is. Yeah, we think we do. Here's the funny thing. <laughs> I want to tell you something we never really can know. Oh, no. You know, people ask me, well, why did he kill his wife? Well, was, you know, he was gay and he didn't want to be gay anymore. Right. And he was married. He wanted to get out of all of that. So so I think that's, that's a potential reason. But it's a reason that other people have. We don't know what his real reason was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like we're always guessing. So, you know, yeah, we have that, you know, we're putting everything under a microscope or whatever, but we're not really always seeing the truth. Sheriff Jim Frost makes an appearance in this storyline here. Ah, man, I, I, you, 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 it's, it's like I, I read about him and it's like, oh, my God. Oh, you, you, you paint a really cool picture. But at the same time, it's one that won't leave my image. Yeah. Here's the thing about Sheriff Frost. I mean, he was revered as a great investigator, mm-hmm. but he was a gay man in the 1970s. He, you know, his marriage fell apart. He was living with a guy and he happened to get involved with Eli Stutzman, who's the killer in, in the book. Mm-hmm. And and once that happens, you know, that's what causes the conspiracy. In the 70s, he's not going to come out and say what I know because that's going to ruin his life. And we've got, you know, Eli Stutzman, who's the Amish guy who's involved with Sheriff Frost. He's not going to say anything either. So that's where really the conspiracy comes around. It comes around those secret worlds of and, – and one of them, the gay world, is no longer a big secret. Right. It's perfectly fine for people to get married now. And many of the people I interviewed in the book – 30 years ago, you know, they were hidden and in the closet or whatever. Now they're happily married. Some have children. So that's really a cool thing that's changed. And the Amish, they're still kind of closeted in their own way, you know, cloistered. But I think they also realize that, you know, we got to talk about what we saw with Jim Frost and with Eli, and we got to break that thing wide open. So I think there was a movement within the Amish, but certainly in the gay community, there was no more shame. You bring up the conspiracy, and today I was introduced to a word that I wasn't familiar with, but it's connected to conspiracies and those who believe in them, and the word is birther, and I've never heard of that word before, but it's being used a lot these days, and so when you're using conspiracy, now I have to wonder, was was uh, Eli a, a birther, or was Jim Frost a birther, somebody who believes so much in this that they started selling the idea to other people? Oh, that's an interesting idea. I don't think so. I think Eli, you know, he was a fabulous, a liar his entire life. He faked, you know, hate notes against himself when he was 16. He stabbed himself and pretended that he was attacked in a barn when he was 20. Um, You know, he did and, and made these kind of, you know, accusations that somebody was after him and all that to get out of trouble. So he, in a, as a birther, he created his own storyline yeah. for sure. And then later when his little boy died 
and his roommate died, he again started fabricating, you know, letters and phone calls and things that that would suggest that the child or the roommate, which he was later convicted of, were still alive. So he he's a birther of his own story. I'm still fascinated by that 30 years. And the reason why is because one of the things that I believe in, I'm somebody who believes in living in the present, because when you go back to the past, you rewrite your past. How did you have continuity to make sure that you did not rewrite anything because of being here in the present? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, because I was so entrenched in what the story was when I wrote my first book, Abandoned Prayers, I was 33 years old. I was new to the whole thing. So that is an indelible feature of my life, writing that book. You know, I'm 65 now. I've written a lot of books since then. So it's like it was easy for me to keep that moment crystallized because it was so important to me in my life. So I don't think I rewrote any of the past in terms of what I knew then. It's what I was able to learn this time around because people were more likely to talk. And frankly, technology changed. Yeah. Before, you know, you couldn't, I had to go knock on the door of the, the prosecutor's office in person, you know, to get information. And we're talking places all over the country. But now, you know, it's a lot of information is a click away. And that, that really changed things and kept things true to the past and to the present. Being such a suspicious person, how, how do you keep a straight face or a poker face when you know you're getting into a story that's being bent? Yeah, isn't that funny? I mean, that is the truth. I mean, I'm looking at people and I'm thinking to myself, I know you're lying right now. So, you know, but but I'm not going to accuse them of that because here's the thing. I want to hear everything they have to say. You know, I've been to prison interviews where I'm looking at the guy across from me or the woman across from me. And I know they killed either their children or their wife or whatever. And they're telling me, of course, they didn't. And I, here's the thing. I don't care about anything they say about the crime yeah. because I know they're lying. I accept that. I listen for what was their childhood like? What, you know, where did they live? What did they do? How did they get to this point? They don't even realize that that's why I'm there. I'm not about the crime. I'm about them. Oh my God. See, man, this, this is what it's all about. When, when an author gets into a story so deep that we really do, it's like we get underneath the skin of the person that you're writing about. I hope so. I mean, that's, that's totally the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So now from one writer to another writer, you do the crime fiction. You, you also do the true crime. Is that not a split personality situation? Well, I feel like every, all the fiction I do, I feel like I was in training for that, you know, all these years, right? By meeting the, you know, the families, the the killers, the the prosecutors, the cops. I mean, that, that was a natural switch, although, you know, and a, a dramatic switch too, to go from, you know, nonfiction to fiction, but um, I don't think it's a split personality thing. I much more enjoy writing nonfiction because I love meeting people. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd love to sit with you and have a beer and talk about your life. You're you're way more interesting than I'll ever be. That's how I always feel about everybody. Um, so I think that's kind of you know that's who I am as a writer. I'm a, I'm an observer, a questioner, and people say you know like, well, what about your own life? And I think my own life. What is it? I'm here to you know channel or transcribe <laughs> your life. You know what I mean? I do know that you. What you mean? And the reason why is because there was one time. I had the opportunity to either interview Elton John or his road manager, and I went with the road manager. I thought he had better stories. Well, here's the thing with Elton. He's going to tell you the same thing he's told everybody. Over and over again. Yep. Yeah, you're you're not going to get it. He's going to, but he'll charm you, and you'll be able to tell everyone I talked to Elton John. But the road manager, you're going to get stuff that you might not want to repeat, and it's the and or it's the stuff that you. And this is what I do when I'm listening to somebody, and they're telling me something. I'm thinking, oh my god, that's in the book. Yeah, that's what I think. That comment, wow, that's in the book. I'm not saying that to them. 
but I'm, you know, you, with that road manager, you're thinking, okay, that's on my, that's, that's in my article. That's in my book. That's whatever, because that's a wow. Wow. Because you're so involved with true, true crime. How is it that you're not carrying a 24 hour microphone on you? Because I mean, or do you, I mean, do you have to do the on the record, off the record thing? I, I, I do everything on the record. Okay. Um, and I do. And here's the other thing. I do almost all 100% of my interviews in person. I, I'm not one of those people that will pick up the phone and interview, you know, somebody about their tragedy in their life, right. you know, and then type it all down or record it or whatever. I feel like face-to-face -face is the best, always has been. Um, and I, even with the Amish, it's like I can't even, with them, I couldn't call ahead, obviously. I could send a letter, but by the time they would get back to me saying if they were in town or not or would see me, it was, you know, it'd be another 10 or 15 days. So um, and that Amish piece is kind of interesting. I'd have to show up. Mm, you know, mm. knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here to talk about the worst thing that ever happened to you. Why was Ida's death looked upon as being a situation of natural causes? Because the coroner and the uh, sheriff, Sheriff Frost, mm. uh, were buddies, were very close. They weren't lovers or anything like that. They were more of a father and son thing. And Sheriff Frost really screwed it up because of his relationship with Eli. With Eli, yep. Yeah, so he covered it up and, and got the coroner to do the same. And later when I met the coroner, he did confess to me or admit to me that he think they might have made a mistake, but, um, you know, it, they weren't going to fix it because it was too embarrassing. You know, Native Americans call the, the person I'm going to describe here for you silent wolves. And you, you remind me so much of a silent wolf. In other words, you sit beneath the brush of a tree and you watch life and you, 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 you take great notes and then you go, hey, I got a conversation I want to share with you. Do you look at yourself as being a silent wolf? I, I've never thought of it in that way, but I think that's a great way to look at it. I'm an observer. Yes. I'm not the participant. This is the first book where I put myself in the story. I have never done that before. <laughs> and I, you know, I try to be like the person outside, but because this was personal, you know, and it was a journey and it kind of teaches people about true crime writing, how it goes, how you go from one thing, some things are dud, you know, the sidetracks, all of that. That's in the book. If you're a true crime fan, you're going to see the lone wolf doing his work. Yeah, yeah, man. I'll or tell the you, silent wolf. It, it, it's it's got to be uh, fascinating to to walk in your shoes in the way that, you know, that, that you're sharing a story and it, it's coming from darkness. But as a reader, I don't feel the darkness. I feel a story, a real honest to God. You know, it's, it's like what Dolly Parton says. Country music is nothing more than sharing stories. It's This is what Johnny did over there in his town, and it's now being shared in your town. I love that, and I love Dolly. Oh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's the greatest, in the, the, an American icon for sure. I think that's true. I'm, I'm, but I'm always mindful of I'm sharing someone else's story. And Errol, to me, that is the greatest honor that I could ever have, wow. is that you have trusted me to tell your story. I'm going to do it really the very best that I can. I may not be 100% right because it's going through my brain and then onto the keyboard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't, some things get lost in translation, but I endeavor to honor and respect all of the people that have come to me to say, Greg, tell me, I'll tell you, um, I have something I've never told anyone else before. Wow. Yeah, that's a moment. That's a moment. Yeah. The, so how come you're not podcasting? Because, I mean, the way that you deliver your words, your, your strength and your vocal cords, I mean, you, you've got you've got it. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out why you're not doing it. I have, Well, I tried. I will, to be okay. honest, I, okay. had a, I had a little development deal with a crime junkie. Um, but uh, Ashley Flowers and I tried to, I did a podcast demo 
and it was about one story and I wanted to do a whole series on a story and they weren't doing it at the time, but, but I might do it. I'm, I, I'm looking into it. My assistant Robin and I are considering it and maybe we'll reach out to you and give us some tips. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I want to, because cr- true crime podcasts are just the biggest thing, man. It's, it's like what, what happens is that when you're, when you're driving in the car and you're listening to a true crime podcast, you, you your mind is off the road. Your mind is off the world. And, and it's, and you have brought your story to us. And, and once again, it's like what we said in the beginning, you draw pictures. Yeah, no, that's great. You knew, you're encouraging me and uh, I really appreciate that. Wow. Well, you've got to come back to this show anytime in the future, Mr. Greg Olson. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? Of all the people I've ever talked to, you're the best. I'm not even shining you on here. Wow. You are fantastic at getting me to talk about things that I don't like to talk about so much and things that I do, both of them. And I feel like what I don't like to talk about and what I do like, you made both the same really great. So thanks so much. Absolutely. You be brilliant, okay? Yeah. All right. You take care.